and welcome to the Decoding Sustainable Finance podcast, brought to you by Arabesque. My name is Ulrike Hasselgren, I'm a partner and I head up our business in the Nordics. And uh, in case you don't know us, Arabesque is a sustainability fintech company. We are built on the two disruptors of modern finance, that is ESG and AI, to deliver sustainable intelligence for corporates and capital markets. Now, we believe economic value creation can and should be combined with environmental stewardship, social inclusion and good governance. And through our AI technology, we can assess vast complex data sets to identify patterns to support better investment decision making. Now, Arabesque is also a house full of brilliant minds. And throughout this podcast series, my colleagues will help me decode sustainable finance and explain what it means. Today, we will talk about climate investing. The planet keeps getting warmer. There is too much carbon dioxide for the earth to absorb and neutralize. And there is real pressure to achieve net zero. What does that mean, net zero? Net zero means the point at which any residual emissions of greenhouse gases are balanced by technologies removing them from the atmosphere. No surprise, companies and financial institutions are increasingly working on net zero targets to be integrated in their strategies and in their decision making. So, on this topic of climate investing, I am joined by my colleague Thomas Schaffbauer, who's a partner at Arabesque Asset Management. Welcome, Thomas. Hello, Rika. Thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure being here. Great. So, Thomas, before, before we get into climate investing, tell me a little bit about yourself, about your career. What, what did you do before you joined Arabesque? Well, my life was pretty boring before I joined Arabesque. I uh, studied theoretical physics. Um, that was extremely exciting. So I decided to go into neuroscience research after that, which was even more exciting. Um, we did uh, some work on Alzheimer's disease and HIV. And uh, at some point we realized, or I realized, that the same methods and techniques uh, I was using in a basement laboratory Scaring, staring at computer screens. I can also use in finance, working with real people in an office with windows. That's why I changed into finance and helped uh, a company called Dimensional Fund Advisors translate complexity and science uh, in easily digestible sentences that we could sell to investors. That's really interesting. And then what was it that triggered your interest in Arabesque and... and uh... Uh, and what do you do today? Well, at some point, um, I realized that I never done like a sabbatical. So like I resigned uh, my old job and traveled in the rainforest. And uh, the revelation I had in the Amazon rainforest was that, you know, my old job wasn't that bad at all. It was just like lacking, um, yeah, in-depth technology and sustainability to make it the perfect job um, what I'm really you know what I really want to do for the rest of my life so I was looking for a 
yeah, basically my old job, but on the intersection of like data science, research, technology, and sustainability. And in a very sophisticated Google search, Arabesque came up first. And I met uh, Omar Selim at uh, the airport in Berlin, actually. And the rest is history. Okay, so really, you, you kind of switched from, from finance to sustainable finance. Is that correct? Well, for me, that was actually just uh, back to the roots. Um, you know, as I studied physics, I did work at BMW for a while doing research on hydrogen engines and solid oxide fuel cells and basically figuring out how mobility works as soon as fossil fuels are, are done. And, uh, you know, working at Yale, working with very noisy data, extracting signals from radioactivity data, uh, in the end, that is all like very, very similar and very close to what we're doing today in sustainable finance. Like we're using like very noisy, very dirty data, which is sustainability data. And we're trying to figure out uh, the world um, in the future, you know, when fossil fuels are scarce and when the damages we cause in the environment are catching up to us. So Thomas, what is climate investing? That's a great question, Ulrika. Let me take a step back uh, to answer that. If you think about global warming and uh, the environmental decay, um, it's mainly driven by the global economy. It's like people consuming and maybe consuming too much and consuming goods that are in their production, maybe not as good as possible for the environment. But the other big side of the equation is uh, the money that goes into financing all these activities, all those productions, all those companies that produce all those goods. So in the end, when you want to change the world, if you want to make a difference, I think you have two leverage points that you need to think about handling. One is obviously consumption, consuming sustainable goods, uh, having your oat milk coffee, uh, coffees and uh, walking away from normal milk, for example. And the other thing that you really need to think about or we really want to uh, focus about is the financing capital. So we want to only channel capital towards uh, companies that are sustainable or are good businesses. And good in this case uh, are companies that are actively deca decarbonizing, that are environmental leaders and are solution providers. These are the companies where we want to channel capital towards. And if we do that in this way nowadays, without limiting diversification, without increasing riskiness uh, of the portfolio, without compromising performance, we can offer investors a portfolio that helps the climate, so it's climate investing, and that's exactly what we're trying to do. But what about what about the skeptics? I mean, there are plenty of skeptics who would say that uh, this is not really making a difference. Would you would you say it actually makes difference, or, or does it create a bubble? Well, you know, bubble. First of all, you know, I, I'm, I'm very. Um, University of Chicago in that sense. I don't believe there's bubbles. I be, believe the world is sufficient or the markets are sufficiently efficient. So uh, there's always a price driven by supply and demand. Um, but does it really make a difference? And I guess like that's also like a, it's a very philosophical question. It's very relative. Not doing anything for it is obviously worse than 
doing what I just described. Is it the best we can do? Probably not. I think we can also just like uh, leave our jobs and like move in emerging countries and protect the environment with our uh, with our knives and guns and make sure that we we not destroying the environment. But I think for like the average person and the average investor, and especially for institutional investors, this is a very reasonable, very sensible approach of starting. Uh, channeling the money in the right direction and hopefully creating a movement, a, a momentum that will enable us to become better and better over time. So what, do, what does this mean actually for corporates, for the companies that, that you would invest in or that uh, uh, institutional investors would, would allocate their, their capital towards? What does it mean for them? I think companies... Uh, at a very interesting position right now with all these new fancy technologies like the internet, with uh, sustainability data, companies becoming more and more transparent, more and more like like a glass block. So investors and consumers and also like people that work there, they see what a company really does. So, you know, thinking about climate investing, thinking about in sustainable investing, thinking about those KPIs that tell us if a company is sustainable or not, is you know it's coming and every company that is very well aware of that and of the concept of climate investing is trying to genuinely be good on these uh, factors on these metrics that really matter these companies will be ahead of other companies um, also the regulators cracking down uh, on, on this thing there's certain metrics that might or might not be very soon part of, of uh, accounting uh, or the PL of certain companies that are linked to climate or to um, social or governmental uh, issues in companies. So I really think for companies, this is a great way of uh, um, opening their eyes and being ahead of the curve and um, becoming a more attractive employer going forward. So like companies that are adopting this whole uh, climate investing and like what it means for an organization will see themselves bring more uh, attractive employers attract the better talent give them more purpose and ultimately maybe even have uh, a higher profitability than their competitors that do not care about climate investing Hmm. would you make would you differentiate you know from from the investors perspective would you differentiate between institutional investors and and retail or individual investors regarding climate investing i think we always have to distinguish a little bit the retail investor is always a, a little bit more emotional i think because uh, he's directly making his investment decisions and he's been influenced by lots of like social media and news channels. Institutional investors uh, are in the sense different because they obviously always follow the advice of investment consultants. They have a professional body of risk and um, other professionals that advise them on what to do. Also, their objective is not always fully emotional, but it's more like uh, they try to match the liabilities they have as an organization. Um, so I do think there is uh, there is differences on how these um, different investors approaching it. But in the end of the day, it means more transparency. And that's equal for like uh, institutional investors and for individual investors. In the end, they can make better investments, better investment decisions, and better consumption decisions as well. So in the end, uh, it doesn't really matter if you're an institutional or individual investor it's equally beneficial for both of them. So end of October and beginning of November, we have the 
26th UN Climate Change Conference of the Parties, also known as COP26, coming up. Uh, we have the world leaders coming to Glasgow to discuss and agree on actions, we hope. What are your expectations and, and uh, what, what effect will it have on climate investing? Hopefully it will, be, it will be a good catalyzer for the whole movement. I think of COP as the burning man for politicians. Usually they're coming up with great ideas and they're very inspiring in, in, in this environment. And it is a stage for doing the right thing and especially holding each other accountable and liable to deliver and yeah, implement those promises and those ideas that are usually uh, bounced in these places. So I have very high expectations to COP26. Mm, okay, so how will this impact uh, climate investing? I mean, now and, and you know, going forward? As I already said earlier, looking at like what regulators do everywhere in the world, I think climate investing is the new default. It's nothing, it's not a trend, it's nothing that will go away. I think the sustainability data, climate data will become better and better with, uh, you know, some regulators forcing companies to disclose uh, the relevant KPIs. So the future of climate investing will be more precise less esoteric and controversial and very, very data heavy, very scientific, very robust, and there will be no margin for error. Everyone who is like falling back will also be the loser. Finally, is there one sustainability related challenge or even opportunity that you would prioritize? Absolutely. As a physicist, I've always been, as a nuclear physicist, I've always been super excited about cold fusion. I think that will at least solve a big part of the, the energy issue that we have. And this is, in my eyes, one of the single most important sustainability topics. We need to support, we need to be open to, we need to figure out. And I've seen lots of good progress being made in that field recently. Another thing that I'm personally... Uh, I think should be sorted is fast fashion. I really think that, you know, buying cheap clothes, throwing them away, buying more cheap clothes is a very dated concept and uh, driven by advertising and media. So like, I think, you know, back in the days as we had our bespoke suits and dresses and we were wearing them like for a whole life and got them fixed and repaired. Um, you know, I'm very much looking back with a lot of, um, jealousy mm, uh, to these times um, my grandfather was a tailor I love tailor made suits and I just can't get my head around these uh, sneakers and chocking pants and I, I would love to see uh, that one sorted as well great thank you so much Thomas thanks Ulrika for having me uh, it's been a, a great pleasure to spend this Friday afternoon with you Thank you, you too. And, and thank you all for joining us for today's episode of the Decoding Sustainable Finance podcast. You can always visit our website at arabesque.com for more information on, on our climate investing and, and our different research and data and tools. And also stay tuned for our next episode. Thank you. Thank you.